like a trusted turnout jacket you've had for years, Flex 7 outer shell fabric delivers a perfectly broken-in feel on the very first wear. Flexible, comfortable, and powered with the strength of enforced technology, Flex 7 outer shell fabric is made to move. To learn more, visit tenkatafabrics.com slash flex7. Flex 7, powered by enforced technology, only from Tenkata Protective Fabrics. Taking it to the streets is all about advancing firefighter safety and operational integrity for the fire service through provocative insights and dynamic discussions dedicated to both the art and science of firefighting and the traditions of the fire service. The focus at Taking It to the Street continues to be straightforward, street-level talk with intelligent, stimulating, and provocative insights and dynamic discussion with interactive dialogue and, most importantly, listener participation. Just like around the kitchen table or in the day room over a cup of coffee at 02.30 after a good run. And now, the latest edition of Taking It to the Streets with your host, Christopher Nall. Welcome to this edition of Buildings on Fire, Taking It to the Streets. I'm your host, Chris Nam. Joining me on this episode is my esteemed colleague, Chief Doug Klein, out of South Carolina. We want to welcome our listeners to part four of our continuing series of the commercial fireground. And again, if you're just listening in on this particular episode as the first go around, this is a uh, our fourth installment of our six-part a continuing series dealing with the commercial fireground. We rolled out our program and our series the end of last year in 2023 with both parts one and two, where we discuss today's challenges associated with the commercial fireground on part one on Chief Klein's fire and training podcast program. Uh, we continued the discussion of on part two on taking it to the streets dealing with some insights on building construction and modern methods of construction and, and a very, very limited uh, capacity uh, of our pod and webcast program. Uh, part three, again, continued on in our last episode on Chief Klein's uh, fire and training uh, program, dealing with fireground decision-making and looking at and having a very brief, but yet uh, very in-depth conversation dealing with risk and risk management and how that relates back to uh, the contributions of size up and the contributions to the decision-making process. So on our program here on this episode of Buildings on Fire Taking to the Streets, we are in episode uh, number four, and we're going to talk about fireground decision-making and uh, focus in on some of the command considerations. So we're going to pick up, Doug, back on some of the conversations that we started off on risk and risk management and what Chief Brunacini, Brunacini was so eloquent in putting together in the mid-1980s, which was what? Uh, risking a lot to save a lot, risk little to save little. Uh, that was the, the premise behind it, and then really understanding what you were risking in the overall scheme of things, um, just forward thinking and, you know, was really the, the kickoff to a lot of thought process and, and what has been the, um, I guess, a, a, a pillar in many, many programs 
uh, from the National Fire Academy to fire officer programs and, of course, in the philosophies that, that we have used for years. And what has always been the challenge? We talk about risk a lot, save a lot, risk a little uh, for nothing saved and so forth. It, it becomes <clears throat> arbitrary at best because there is no consistent risk matrix or template that is consistently utilized in a manner that um, has a, almost an empirical basis to it, right? I mean, when we talk about your risk versus my risk versus any of other other colleagues, when we get into conversations or, or discussions on strategy or tactics or operations, there is always this level of debate uh, based upon risk. And it also has a relationship back to what my experience levels are and what my comfort levels are, what my knowledge, skills, and abilities. And more importantly, Doug, as, as you really uh, formed the foundation of our previous episode, talking about uh, recognition, prime decision-making, right? And, and that has its association with what we talk about, RPDM uh, or naturalistic decision-making. That whole basis of that concept deals with what? Uh, really knowing what you have. I mean, it, it's an in-depth analysis. And, you know, you sparked a thought in my mind, Chris, is um, kind of picking up on that. What do we really have or how are we prepared? How are we wired? And uh, when we start talking about risk a lot, one of the first things that comes to my mind, and this has probably been 25 years ago, unfortunately now, um, I had probably 30 people, 40 people standing in the front yard. And when I walked out, 20 of them uh, had on orange helmets and they were what would be known as exterior firefighters. And I needed people for the interior of the building. And you're, you're beginning to make those thought processes of well, who can I get in here to replace these crews? And, you know, what knowledge do they have and what capabilities do they have? And uh, again, we all know this, and, and I even said this in a class over the weekend, is um, what are their talents? What are their capabilities? And how much trust do you have in them to be able to go and do what tactical deployments you want to you have in there? And that, that comes down to, to what you're willing to risk, and that's part of that risk assessment, but that also goes into the dynamics of, of deciding what type of strategies and, and tactics you're going to deploy. And uh, from Brunacini's concept of, of risk a lot to save a lot, uh, you may have a, a, a very prime savable building, but the people you're putting in to this structure and their true knowledge, their true capabilities, the predicated skills, uh, you would be risking a lot, whereas with other crews, you wouldn't be risking as much. And I think we got to think in, in kind of out-of-the-box strategies like that. And, and I, I remember... Um, in fact, I remember sitting at Pipestem, West Virginia, at Escape, when Chief Brunacini was in there back in the 80s when this was part of what was in his uh, animated character book of command, and he was talking about this. And, I, and it, it just – when he threw it out there, he said, not everybody's capable of doing the things that you need them to do. And that's, that's where you have to evaluate risk. And I'll never forget that. That really resonated home with me. Well, it's interesting, you know, Brunacini laid out the, the whole uh, fire ground risk uh, concept, uh, both in terms of risk assessment and the rules of engagement back in the mid to late 1980s, 
coming out of the first published book of a fireground command uh, and the whole command fireground commander concept. And our listeners may not remember or recognize or, or even be familiar with it, but he identified uh, three distinctive levels of risk, both low, medium, and uh, high risk, and also talked about probability and probability for success as it related to engagement. And it goes right back to what you're talking about, Doug. It, it gets back into, and again, if we frame this out with the commercial fireground, we are talking about buildings that have both low and high risk based upon the frequency and other factors. We talked about <clears throat> building construction and occupancy and fire levels of risk. And we also introduced in our last episode, in episode three, uh, talking a, a little bit about the human performance part, which deals with resources and companies. And as you just talked about, it goes back to um, capabilities, knowledge, skills, and abilities, and also the availability. What do I have on scene? What's coming? What can I call upon? So if I have a commercial occupancy and it's involved in some type of condition, fire, and so so forth, um, the siting, the location, the proximity of those resources, when we talk about uh, human performance, we talk about companies. So there are three distinctive aspects that we continue to advocate and discuss in all of our programs. And that relates back to common elements on the fire ground that relate back to building, relate back to fire conditions, and relate back to human performance, or, or HU, which relate back to the company. So it's very critical for us to have a perspective and an appreciation for the capabilities and the availability of adequate resources that are trained to be able to operate in the commercial environment. And that is part of our con think continuing theme here. The commercial fireground is unique. Although we have many, many types of commercial slash retail type buildings, these occupancies have different associated levels of risk. And those risks, um, as we've identified in our previous episode, on episode three, we introduced to the fire service our 10 different classifications or typing of our commercial structures from type one through 10. And they range again for our lower levels for types one, two, three, and four. Uh, again, they are based upon square footages and also building construction features of up to 10,000 square feet, 10 to 25, 25 to 75, and 75 to 100,000 in the types one through four. So the whole premise here is that if we can identify and call something something, a typing or whatever that may be, it also has and can have, based upon construction and usage, a definable level of risk, which ultimately may have contributors as it relates to command and tactical engagement. So it's very, very important to, to capture that, that concept. Um, one of the things that I'll just dovetail into this, Doug, before I turn it back over to you, is that one of the challenges in the fire service has and continues to be the ability to classify and identify what risk is, uh, the concept of risk profiling, although there's been a lot of conversation, certainly over the last 15 to 20 years about risk and profiling and survivability profiling, and a lot of different pieces uh, that are that are part of a bigger aspect here. But uh, one of the things that we had the ability to contribute towards 
uh, was a line of duty death, double line of duty death that occurred in uh, 2012 in the city of Philadelphia. And in this particular instance, uh, the fireground conditions ultimately led to a double line of duty death on that fireground. The building and its occupancy, although not uh, commercial, it was a an abandoned building. It was of type three and four construction, both ordinary and uh, heavy timbered and mill construction. Within that NIOSH report, and that NIOSH report was uh, 2012-1313, one of the challenges associated with that fire was risk factors associated with the complexities of that particular incident and, uh, again, the management of risk. And when NIOSH worked the investigation process, one of the identifiable challenges during the investigation and interviewing interviewing stages was that there was no clear common referencing uh, of what the risk of that building was during various stages of operation. In other words, risk was perceived differently based upon experience levels from the most senior fireground commanders with 30 plus years of experience based upon their confidence, based upon their experience and so forth. Their level of risk may have uh, been perceived as being different from those uh, that a younger officer or let's say an inexperienced officer or commander operating in a particular division or capacity that may not have worked a significant, challenging, complex, multiple alarm fire. And that's what generally came out of that. One of the outcomes of our involvement in that uh, analysis was the development and the identification of a methodology process and a risk management model. So when I talked about probability um, and other associated levels of risk, one of the things that we put together, and we continue to put this uh, model and the diagrams out there on social media, and we will add this to a resource item for those of you that follow us on social media, especially on fireengineering.com, we will repost this. Uh, as part of our uh, uh, part of our, our pod and webcast program here, we'll get that particular uh, template and diagram back out there. But generally speaking, it relates back to if we can identify with something and call it something, we now can train on it. And guess what? We can also associate that with fireground conditions and other conditions that are either identifiable, perceived, or assumed on the fireground during initial size up at the tactical or command level. So very, very quickly here, guys, I just want to talk about there are very specific levels of risk and severity that I'll just quickly give you. It's everything from negligible to the highest level of catastrophic. Negligible uh, means that, again, we have conditions that have minimal threat to the safety and well-being of companies operating under generally accepted fire service work practices and parameters. The highest level of risk is catastrophic. It may result in personal death, grave personal injury, large-scale destruction, and perilous conditions. When we associate that with operational probability of that event, uh, all the way, well, if something was to occur, is it unlikely or is it something that can occur frequently during the conduct of operations? And put this into the context of a smaller standalone commercial building, let's say under 10,000 square feet, or something where we are dealing with a 200 or 250,000 square foot big box, a department store that again may have a fire in that particular building. So 
is there going to be something that can be catastrophic in nature? And can it, is it unlikely to occur? Is it something that is seldom that can occur? Again, not likely to occur, but uh, is a possibility. Uh, something that can occur occasionally. It may occur under normal operating timeframes. Is it likely to occur, quite likely to occur during operational times? And then the frequency, which is a high level of risk, it's likely to occur immediately or in short operational periods of time, expect to occur frequently. So it goes primarily from that matrix that is very standardized from low to medium to high to extreme. So again, we have this ability, right, Doug? We have this ability to call something what it may be in our occupancies if we can categorize them, if we can relate that back to operational conditions that are identified by visual uh, or other uh, factors uh, or things that we presume based upon that particular building and couple that with experience and then couple that and tie that directly into the human performance, our resource standpoint. It'll give us some, some guidance, right? It gives us some, some direction on what we should be doing, should not be doing, uh, or may want to do, but having an appreciation of risk, right? I would definitely say that uh, we're, we're spot on. And one of the biggest things I think that it, it, to just kind of go back and recap, you covered so many different areas that, that fall into a command level module or the thought process. Um, you're talking about the building and, you know, that's a big piece. Uh, we talk about um, the human performance of, of how they're going to be able to perform and, you know, what type of situation awareness do they really have? Are they, are they truly aware of the situations that are occurring? Are they really reading uh, the smoke? Are they reading the building? Are they reading the activities that are going on in the fire ground? Are they equating what they're seeing and realistically evaluating them against their tactics? And then how well is the human performance? And, you know, the, the one thing that uh, as you were going through there, Chris, I, I got to thinking in my mind, we sometimes think that we're a whole lot better at this than what we really are. And we think our people are much more talented than what they are. And I, I oftentimes wonder, and, and I was sitting here thinking about this as you were going, thinking, do we have a horseshoe that's placed over our door? And how, how soon is that horseshoe going to fall on our head as we're walking out? Uh, we know that this occurs on a regular basis because uh, we see line of duty deaths. We see NOSH reports that come back and some of them are coming back with the same, you know, top five, top seven components that go into there. And I, when, when I think about it uh, under human performance, one of the categories we have in that model is called error traps. And how often do we make those errors in our thought process or perceptions uh, that we've conditioned ourselves to believe? In other words, we've gave ourselves a, a false sense of or a false belief of where we're really at, our capabilities. Or, again, we go back, and, and this is probably uh, two years ago when we, we talked about benchmarking on fire grounds, um, 
when that starts, especially in a commercial structure. I mean, we, we talked a lot about our, our bread and butter operations with residential, but this is even more critical. We, we need to start benchmarking from the time we leave the station um, as to how that building, you know, timelines and how it's going to perform because it is predictable. And we, we've seen that even in, in all the studies that, that are out there. But as you're talking about this in, in the risk management and, and, and the tactical component, I almost got to the point that it was like, holy cow, this is a realization. This is like an aha moment that, that's coming about that, you know, are we really making good decisions as, as the fire service in, in today's environment? And what have we lost? Um, just looking at some of the, the people that have retired here in the last couple of weeks, uh, the years of experience that are just personal friends of mine that, that are going out of the business, what have we lost and, and what's replacing that? How much knowledge do they have? And, um, that Chris, you, you just sent chills up my spine. If you, yeah. you really want to know my truth, well, it, it know. was scary. You're, you're spot on, Doug. Again, I think for our listeners, when we talk about, especially those that are operating uh, either um, in rank or, or out of rank in an acting capacity, um, the command, especially initial command in that first 10, 15 minute duration of that tactical window, um, command decision-making at commercial structures when there are far greater unknowns that are typically part of the process that we have to, of, of inputs. Um, there are more unknown factors as the intrusion within that building is occurring by companies at the tactical level. And there is a significant level of risk as we continue to encroach and go further into that building, primarily because of the open openness and the large open types of floor plans. So in smaller structures, again, those 10, 20, 30,000 square foot buildings, those in themselves still have significant levels of risk but they increase in an exponential manner as we start getting into the 30, 40, 50, up to that 100, 150, 200,000 square foot areas. We have this inability to maintain uh, our point of reference, our situational awareness, our mobility into that building. Um, orientation factors become diminished or become very uh, convoluted. Uh, and again, it's not only the square footage of that footprint, it's also the volume, and that volume as it relates to the fire dynamics in the building in combination with building construction, the fire dynamics, the susceptibility of that building to maintain its integrity become critical as we further engage in, into that structure. Um, you know, and I say this all the time when we talk about reading the building. So there's four reads of the fire ground, right? We have reading the fire ground, we have reading the building, reading the fire, and reading the companies. The company component goes back to our conversation uh, that we're getting into here uh, that uh, Doug has been talking about both in the last episode as well as what we're referencing here. We really have to have such a significant handle on actual or perceived capabilities of the company because that margin of error as we engage in commercial firefighting is minimal at best when things start going south. And the continuing issues, again, the challenges for today's incident commanders uh, and operating companies uh, as it relates to the commercial fire ground, I think is to clearly recognize, again, the building performance uh, factors, 
inherent construction characteristics uh, that are fundamental to how these buildings, these commercial fireground structures are built, how they perform, and how they react under fire duress, um, how they present themselves, how they play into our decision-making process, and how do we at the command level ascertain and distinguish how, how that building and how the firefighters are going to perform under the elapse of uh, the tactical window. In other words, as the incident continues to evolve, how will that fire affect the building's integrity? How it will affect our operability and survivability to conduct the mission critical tasks that are present? And those mission critical tasks really are to ensure that both workers and civilians that are utilizing that facility have successfully and safely evacuated out of that structure. If there are employees and civilians that may be um, trapped or in safe areas of refuge in that building, because again, they may not be able to go down the travel paths to get to exit points because they, again, may be far removed from where they may be located in the building as interior conditions start becoming compromised. Um, again, identifying these safe areas of refuge and successfully uh, and timely uh, evacuating them out of the structure. The firefighting part of this, again, may or may not occur, right, Doug? We, we, we continue to see and stress interior firefighting operations but they are a different type of methodology and practices that are employed in non-compartmentized floor plans, large open areas, large volumes, large spans, different construction features, different structural loads that are impacted in a significantly different time frame than what we encounter in the multiple occupancy or most certainly in the residential structure setting. I went and pulled something up, um, and it's it's the rules of engagement, and this is in one of our uh, operating uh, guidelines, and it's uh, straight out of the I-Chiefs rules of engagement. But you hit something, Chris, and people say, and, and I hear this all the time, is that uh, we're, we're not being aggressive in, in firefighting tactics. We're, we're you know, we're trying to get to where um, we're stand outside and, and spray water type fire departments. And that's not the case. Um, the case is we're trying to do this with a risk assessment, a risk management component to be able to engage for tactical success and for safety. And part of it is, and that begins with, with size up. And size up starts long before the tones drop, before the fire occurs. That gets back to the pre-incident surveys. That gets back to your risk assessments. Uh, that's knowing your districts, the whole nine yards. But you hit something. The, the change in the type of buildings, and it's the compartmentalization that has drastically changed. We went from being, as Lloyd Lehman uh, characterized it as, you know, good compartmentalization that we could control fire in to the fact that we have these large open areas, especially in commercial buildings that, and you, you said this, and the perfect example is the Walmarts, the Lowe's, the, even the McDonald's, but Dollar Generals, any of those type of 
family dollars. I don't I don't care what it is. Those type of buildings are large open spaces with large spans that we have to take into consideration. It, it's it's not a small 12 by 12 or 20 by 20 box that we're working in. It's a much larger piece. And it's it goes back to truly being able to size up your tactical operational area, understanding basically how it's built and how it's going to perform and how the fire is going to perform in there. And then again, if, if we use our, our basic principles, we're all about life safety, incident stabilization, property conservation. But we got to get down to uh, the occupancy survivability profile. You know, what what's the chances? Can we get in there? And, and are we going to what are we going to risk? Back to Bruno Sini's thing in um, his concepts. Are we going to risk a lot to save a lot? Are we going to risk little to save little? And we want to extend a limited risk to protect savable property and extend a vigilant but measured risk. And again, the key word is measured risk to protect the lives of those that are savable. And I think that's got to get into it. But if you kind of go over to the incident commander side, it's rapidly conduct and obtain a 360 degree size up. In other words, you got to have the totality of the picture of what you're really seeing. And and I know that when we've had uh, several of our guests on uh, and, and we've talked about different buildings, uh, one of the things that comes in the mind is being able to see the Charlie side of the building. And a lot of times it, it's whether you can get a company around back. Uh, you know, Chief Sheraton talked about that or whether you got to send a company to the roof to, to look over to the Charlie, whatever it is. But again, what type of uh, group of people have you assembled or are assembling on that scene uh, that, that you can utilize? And, Again, uh, it's it's part of it, and I think that's that's one of the areas in commercial structures I think that we're missing, and it goes back to what we said and you used several times in part three is we're deploying com- uh, residential tactics into commercial structures, and they're not the same. So the question and I told you I would get to this in part three. Uh, when we were talking, the question I've been asking a lot of people is, how many of you have advanced two and a half inch hose lines into these type of commercial buildings? And what experience do you have in, in engaging in fire ground operations in commercial buildings that, you know, are not just, <clears throat> you know, you pull up and you got a little bit of smoke and it's it's a, a light ballast or something like that. But I'm, I'm talking about going in and actually engaging in <clears throat> fire suppression tactics. And that's where that command management gets into from a company officer perspective to to be able to understand your resources, to have that supervisory oversight, to actually have good situational awareness and be able to make good decisions, whether it's, um, you know, prime, you know, recognition decision making, whether it's naturalistic, um, you've got to be able to do that. And again, it goes back to what you were saying that kind of put chills down me what are we really doing and what are we really thinking? And I think this is a a time that uh, our listeners, I I want them to actually do a little bit of a gut check and a reality check is what are you thinking and and how are you operating? And are we operating with that horseshoe that's stuck above our door or on a rig or wherever? And we're just getting lucky. And, you know, in Russian roulette, you know, the probability of, 
uh, potential is is going to come up sooner or later that we have something, you know, bad happen. And, and hopefully, you know, there's no injuries. And I think we even have a slide in one of our programs that says the best we can hope for is somebody just gets hurt and not killed. Yeah. We talk about that. Well, you know, I think the, the commercial fire ground in the context of what we've presented thus far uh, up through this this fourth episode here it is certainly suge- highly suggesting and identifying that in the lack of experience or even with some degree of experience, working and conducting operations at commercial on the commercial fire ground in this instance does demand much more pre-incident preparation. And by that I'm stating is that we have to have knowledge, skills, and abilities that truly are developed and honed in the classroom setting. Uh, Formal knowledge that is attained in understanding construction, layout, commonalities, understanding fixed fire suppression systems, understanding the fire dynamics, understanding how various types of businesses in the commercial occupancies that uh, they involve, as we've described, the Costco's, the Home Depot's, the Lowe's, the McDonald's, the Chick-fil-A's, I mean, any of the buildings that are of a commercial occupancy usage type and risk does demand formal education and knowledge and skill set. And that only comes about through formal, either um, a formal classroom training or the informal that one attains through reading, learning, and, and going through all the various types of media access that one has. But it does require at some point formalized, consistent knowledge attainment and education in that process. Because again, commercial buildings, whether they be the small standalone as we start increasing size, complexities, and so forth, there's going to be some common features of construction and, and so forth. But the integration of the fixed suppression detection systems, other things that come about in the trade-off process based upon performance-based uh, codes and standards are going to create unique buildings. So they are not always all complex. I'm certainly not stating that. And Doug, as you just talked about, you know, the dollar stores, the uh, uh, any of the typical types of smaller commercial buildings that everyone has, um, there is going to be common construction, common features that have, as we talked about in episode three, certain definable levels of risk that correlate to decision-making that also influence the tactical deployment. These are givens. These are really not anecdotal. They really become uh, empirical uh, elements that play out on the fire ground. And we need to know that. Whether you are operating in a rural setting and you've got that family dollar store down at the at the corner of, of whatever the route or, or uh, street may be, um, eventually there may be a likelihood that that building catches fire how will you engage and even should you engage? So there's going to be variables of those levels of risk. I'll say this, one of the things that comes to mind, and it goes back to this whole issue that, again, you started the conversation on in in our episode three, uh, dealing with the risk as it relates back to uh, RPDM, recognition, prime decision-making. It all goes back to fundamentally this. When we talk about command uh, insights and operations on the fire ground, 
Uh, and then this is true both at the command and the tactical company level, but uh, especially at the command level, it's uh, the aspects of uh, that are part of the cognitive process, right? It's thinking, it's knowing, um, it is remembering, it is judging, and then it's also problem solving. And the problem solving portion plays out in our decision making and size up and uh, incident action plan, right? But it's thinking, it's knowing, it's remembering, it's judging. Uh, or, or making some assessments and determination, and then uh, developing a, a plan for the problems that are at hand. With that being said, the most critical part of that is working memory, category formation, and pattern recognition. And, and what are those? Those are the experiences that we've had in the past where we have this working memory based upon what we're hearing, seeing, communications that we're getting from the companies, um, you know, a good example is going to be this. You know, I've got a company that's going into the uh, rear division of the building, and there's a significant runoff of what appears to be water that is steaming as they're driving around the back access road of that structure that is coming from some unknown area. Again, we're, we're, we're responding at 2 o'clock in the morning. So what is that telling you? That, that should be a clear indication that I've got runoff possibly coming from the discharge point of the sprinkler system or coming from the access point of a threshold of an overhead or a man door, and that water runoff, especially if it's steaming and it's not either cold out or other conditions, uh, that is going to be indicative of some type of fire that may or may not be uh, identified from the outside, but it's it's water discharge from a sprinkler system that's heating up, steaming out because it's been elevated in temperature and I've got a runoff in that street. Something as simple as that may be enough for the for that company officer to communicate, hey, this is what we're seeing on that particular division rear side of the structure, and command can quickly start putting that together. Again, working memory, uh, category formation, pattern recognition, what's visible, what isn't, uh, are there glows, is there something that's present, what kind of information is coming from uh, the 911 center about, uh, again, information coming from the alarm panel, from a watch service, from the alarm company, from on-site uh, employees and so forth, or civilians, again, depending upon the time of day. There may be a lot of stuff coming about. So these all really come together very much in a critical standpoint, which relates to what? It relates to critical thinking. And that is so, so important as an attribute for commanding office juice to have as it relates to command and decision-making processes. And again, we're just we are just scratching the surface and just putting out these little nuggets of insights as it relate to the operational standpoint. You know, one of the things you talked about with the, the water that's, that may be coming out of a building, uh, one of the things that I've always done and I teach folks to do is uh, if you have a water flow in a building is, you know, feel that water as you're going in. That's just one of the, you know, we, we talk about poking holes in ceilings, you know, when we're going into these apartment complexes or whatever, uh, on a commercial building, feel, if you've got a water flow that's coming out, fill the water. If it's normal temperature, well, then it's either travel the distance or it, it's got a good control on the fire. If that water is warm, um, well, how, how far away is the fire or it, has it traveled a distance? And obviously it was very hot at some point. Or if you're you're getting really hot water that's returning to you, you're fairly close to the fire and um it's it's heated that up in the runoff. That's that's something that that you keep in in mind. It's just, it's just something real quick. It's it's just one of those things. And you know, from a training perspective, 
how do you how do you get people trained to fight commercial fires? Because I know that uh, they're probably not going out and they're not burning commercial structures. That's probably hard to do. Uh, the biggest thing is, as I see, there's a, a lot of folks that uh, want to train firefighters and they think that that's the only way you can train them, but they'll, they'll violate 1403, which is a recipe, as we know, for another NAS report or your, your NAS report being in the next textbook. But the, the biggest thing is when you get opportunities that you can train in some of these buildings, it, it's important to be able to train in them. Uh, most of our burn facilities are not the size of commercial structures. Uh, very few places have large buildings like that. I was fortunate uh, uh, when I was over across the border in North Carolina that uh, we could go to Gaston Community College. And Gaston Community College had a very large burn building. It was designed like a commercial building that was part of it. It had sections that were like residential buildings, but they could drive a forklift through the building on all the floors. Uh, elevators in there that, that actually function, things like that. So um, being able to operate in those environments that you can create you know, and have smoke conditions and fire conditions, and you've got to advance hose lines for long ways and actually make turns. And of course, inside this building was designed to be like a commercial building that may have machineries in one areas, or, you know, you could design it in a lot of different ways. You just don't get that opportunity. Um, as a fire chief, I did have a, an opportunity to burn a commercial building. Uh, we spent about three months working with the Office of State Fire Marshal in North Carolina. And fortunately, uh, I had an individual that uh, was on my department from that worked at OSFM by the name of Greg Chatham. And uh, we worked very diligently to prepare a building to be able to show safely and under 1403 conditions and to meet the standard exactly what happens in a commercial building. And that's one of the things that um, a lot of people don't realize is these drop ceilings are going to come down. There's there's a lot of HVAC system and um, wiring and, and coax cables and networking systems and, and all these things that are in the ceiling that are hid that all of a sudden become entrapment hazards. Well, uh, we worked and, and created in our pathways and our areas that we could actually be safe and free from all those. They were all removed from that area of the building. We set up to where there were rooms that still had these in, but you could not enter the room uh, by crawling or you'd really have to you know, do an effort. But we had it to where you could see what would happen from a perspective as, as time evolved and these ceilings collapsed and, and what happened with the drop of these wires and HVAC, HVAC ductwork systems and all that. Um, very, very unique situation, hours upon hours upon hours of, of working with, um, you know, the, the state training agency and, and making sure we were being compliant with 1403 and, and having uh, EPA and air quality and all these folks that were in there, but it, it paid dividends as you know, after we did that burn, we had a fire just a few weeks later and it, people had experience and they made good sound decisions based upon that, which gave them that prime 
you know, recognition, decision making, you know, all the things that they needed. They had something to go into that. Uh, the problem I see, Chris, and this is the scary part, is most of the folks that I'm having conversations with out in the streets don't have any of these experiences to be able to pull anything from. And a lot of what they're they're looking at or seeing are just snippets from YouTube videos and things that don't give the totality of the picture. And you're not seeing a, a, a complete picture of everything that's going on. And I think that we're also now storing sometimes bad information. And when you put garbage in, you get garbage back out. And I don't want people making bad decisions uh, wrapped around some of that stuff, if you know what I mean. Well, and you're certainly very, very correct, you know, but I'll tell you this. So uh, there's there's resources out there that can certainly aid significantly in uh, gaining insights that are that are necessary. Um, certainly, first and foremost, we talk about a couple of documents that are out there. NFPA 1700, which is the Guide for Structural Firefighting, 2021 edition that came out. Um, it is a guide, but there's some good insights in there regarding uh, the commercial fire ground. Again, it talks about uh, explicitly uh, certain building and occupancy types and gives some suggestions based upon the evolving insights gained from uh, research and, uh, and testing. Secondly, Underwriters Laboratory, uh, the study of coordinated fire attack utilizing acquired structures. There's, uh, again, it's an in-depth study. Um, it's pretty high level, but that analysis and the impact of ventilation on strip malls uh, from UL will give you some insights on some of those aspects. But clearly, the most easily accessible, attainable, and something that we can comprehend is the review of uh, after-action reports, and line of duty deaths and case studies, guys. I mean, that, that comes down to it. And certainly when we talk about the commercial fire ground, the one that all of us should be knowledgeable of, but yet the further we get away from that event, the uh, continuing, um, the lapse of, of, of recall and how the diminishment and the fading away of that incident continues to occur. And that event that I'm referring to is the 2007 uh multiple line of duty deaths that occurred in uh, in uh, Charleston, South Carolina with the uh, Sofa Superstore fire. Commercial building, lessons and learnings, guys. I mean, there's just so much out of there when we talk about nine line of duty deaths. But it even goes back further than that when we talk about fundamentals of the commercial fire ground. Um, a single line of duty death that occurred in Michigan, again, in a strip mall fire. NIOSH report talks about a young firefighter less than a year on the job losing his life on the nozzle as a result of a uh, separation of a perimeter wall, the collapse of a roof because of what? Rooftop units. Doug, you, know, you just talked about commonalities of construction and features. Well, rooftop units or units that are hidden in the, in the overhead, but especially on rooftop units and commercial buildings, they are there. They're going to fall into the building. They're highly affected by heat and flame impingement due to the spans of these buildings. They are highly vulnerable, resulting in uh, rooftop assemblies and systems, but rooftop units that end up failing, resulting or contributing into line of duty deaths. It occurred in Michigan. It also occurred with another young firefighter in San Antonio. So those are two line of duty deaths that, that one can reference to, let alone the, uh, and it's upcoming, it's gonna be, well, it's something we're gonna talk about here next month in our sixth 
episode, our sixth and final episode, dealing with lessons and learnings and, and new risks of fire ground. And that was a double line of duty death that occurred in, in Houston, Texas, at a McDonald's. And that was the first event that occurred in 2000. So it was 24 years ago, coming up this March, in which we started talking about the disposability of certain types of commercial buildings. And we started talking about what? Rooftop units, lightweight construction, and how all of these come together when we are engaging and operating, utilizing uh, sometimes inappropriate tactics at a building that certainly highly suggests a different tactical model and approach. And it goes back to something even more fundamental. That was in 2000. And again, I don't want to take any wind out of our sales of our, of our uh, episode four program, but uh, the double line of duty death in uh, Orange County, uh, Florida. And uh, again, that's, that's something that occurred that, uh, again, is part of the lessons and learnings that occurred in 1989, double line of duty death in a small gift shop the Sunrise Gift Shop fire that occurred uh, in February of 1989 in Orange County, Florida. So we're going to talk about those, but there's lessons and learnings and insights that we can table talk, that we can discuss in the classroom and in the in-service, the formality of, of a classroom delivery to gain some insights that does what? It goes back into our, our working memory. It, uh, it allows us to recall other similar events that, although we may not have fought those fires, We've got some knowledge on, and hopefully based upon our experience, especially at the command level, we can start putting that together appropriately for the incident action plan, the deployment of our companies, and ultimately the operations and conduct on the fire ground. One other quick item, and I just pulled out the copy here in front of me here in the, in the studio, uh, NIOSH, recognizing that, again, in the last couple of years, there has been the, this series of adverse trends that are occurring, uh, did issue out a, a workplace solution document. This came out in September of 2023, and that document is titled Preventing Deaths and Injuries to Firefighters Working at Strip Mall Fires. So again, guess what? It gets into levels of risk, tactics, operations, talks about some case studies, and gives some insights on uh, pre-incident insights, as we've been talking about, as you've been talking about, Doug, on size up, incident management, fire ground operations. So it is just a short uh, six-page document. We uh, were able to contribute a little bit to that particular document, but it is the Workplace Solutions from the National Institute of Occupational Safety and Health, NIOSH, on preventing deaths and injuries to firefighters working at strip mall fires. So I would highly recommend that you uh, go to the NIOSH Firefighter Line of Duty Death uh, page. You'll find the links, take a look at the workplace solutions, and it, it's a great document to uh, gain some insights on. And I'll also state this as we start wrapping up our program here. Uh, we'll also put out, uh, re republish on social media here, um, our, our two um, image templates. We, we put this out on our last episode uh, for episodes one and two. We'll, we'll republish that. It gives you just a little bit of insights. It's a small cross-section of a commercial building, some pre-incident information about rooftop units and roof systems and uh, separations of tenant spaces and, and so forth, and then a little bit of insights on some tactical approaches and, and considerations. So just a, a couple of uh, takeaways to help support our conversation and discussion. Well, Chris, you know, you know the biggest thing is, Every, every little piece of information people can get their hands on. 
they, they can begin reading and relating to, I think is going to be critical. And I thought of one more that we can add in here is the National Sprinkler Association has just done a big piece um, on sprinkler systems in commercial buildings and the different types of sprinklers that, you know, that exist in there and how well they perform uh, under live fire conditions. And uh, our good friend Shane Ray um, uh, actually, uh, you know, has that out from the National Sprinkler Association. That's another another piece to look at, you know, especially in these these buildings that do have fire protection systems. But, you know, bottom line, if if you're not talking about this in your firehouse, if you're from from a perspective not looking at what's going on around you and what your potentials are, I think we're failing. I think we're failing miserably as, as the company officer. And uh, again, I'm going to go back and I'm going to utilize a, a, a concept called the company officers, the true trainers of the fire service. And they're the ones that should be educating and, and be educated on these topics. And, you know, they, one of the things that I, I think people think about is, oh, you know, I, I can get a lot of high education from, uh, you know, going to, to a conference or whatever. Well, you're, you're right. You can. However, who's going to deliver that? And that's the whole concept behind the company officer being the key trainer in the fire service and the true trainers of the fire service. And that was one of the, the whole reasons behind an instructor component in 1021 being a prerequisite is it's so critical that that position shares and teaches. But, you know, unfortunately, folks that are getting in these roles and uh, have gotten into these roles and have gotten comfortable are, are, are becoming what uh, Paul Combs actually had. I saw it pop up on the uh, social media is the two slugs in the in the recliners with a guy that's trying to train and you know sh- be quiet chicago fires on um and i, I think we got to get away from that concept and i and i i want to challenge i want to rejuvenate our officers that are in the field especially at the station level that you need to be researching and teaching this and and studying this stuff with your people because the the more that you're working on, and there's so much information out there. And again, when we look at NOSH reports, we're we're getting firsthand information of what went wrong. I mean that that's good data to put into your brain to say, hey, let's don't do that. Uh, let's let let's take a different approach. Or, you know, we we've seen this that was successful. Let's let's be analytical. Were they truly successful because of what occurred or were they just lucky because of the time frames and the horseshoe? And again, I think we got to really begin getting officers thinking this way and, and doing things different. And I'll probably get abused for that, but that's OK. I got thick skin. But bottom line, uh, we've got to change your mentality about commercial fires. And I just don't think that that's happening across the United States completely. I know that in some areas, these there are people that are embracing everything that we're saying. They're doing things. They're they're cutting edge. They're top of the line, and they're making a difference. And then the other places, uh, we got the slugs that are sitting in the the recliners, and and it's a hope and a prayer. Nothing happens. Yeah, there's no question about that. And again, we we should uh, certainly reinforce the fact that. The NIOSH reports, as well as any other action reports and near misses, you know, they identify the good and the bad. There, there are significant 
attributes that go well at these incidences that were contributors. Uh, and there's also the, the adverse aspects that result in uh, the undesirable events, right? Either property loss, injuries, or line of duty deaths, or civilian uh, injuries and fatalities. So we have to gain insights and utilize that as a uh, memory tool to be able to apply in similar conditions that we are encountering upon arrival. Not all of us can, can gain the depth of experience from incidences that have occurred around the United States or globally. Uh, so we really truly need to look at case studies, lessons and learnings to glean out of them all of the attributes that lead to successful outcomes and those conditions when they align themselves such that when identified, hopefully can keep an incident from going south on us and be able to allow us to recover and keep our, our crews safe and uh, mitigate the incident. So, you know, lastly, I'll just put this out. And, and again, we will put, uh, we'll put some of the visuals out there as we've done in the past. Um, there are two attributes when we talk about risk as that relates to the global picture. Um, it relates back to operations and tactics. We have to have a higher level of appreciation for the tactical windows, especially the, the really the best practices of that 10 to 15 minute duration of time. And, and I certainly advocate to be really closely monitoring our activities from time of arrival through that 10 to 11 to 12 minutes of elapsed time, especially at the command standpoint, to be monitoring the conditions, identifying uh, potential indicators, performance indicators that are associated to the building, associated with the companies, associated with the fire, that are going to influence your decision making and hopefully determine what course of action you either continue to take or that requires uh, some degree of modification, either in the immediacy, the short term, or some timely period of time. When we associate things with risk, again, they also relate back to RIT and severity, urgency, and growth, or SUG. The resiliency, integrity, and time of the acronym of RIT relates back to resiliency, integrity, and the time factor of elapsed time on the fire ground. The SUG factor deals with severity, urgency, and growth. Those six attributes associated with those two particular domains are very, very critical to apply on the commercial fire ground. And we'll talk more about these in our episode uh, five program, our next episode, which will be coming up uh, on February 28th and uh, February 29th. So episode number five, we'll talk about fire ground decision-making regarding the tactical side of it a little bit more picking up on our conversation in both this and episode number three, and then we'll be rounding out our program uh, again in the month of February, uh, going live on February 29th as scheduled for lessons, learnings, and new risk. And Doug will talk more about training opportunities as we've touched base a little bit here tonight. So again, uh, we're hoping to have a couple of uh, guest speakers that will be joining us uh, uh, next on the next two episodes of our series. We encourage you to download and listen to our other previous three episodes that uh, are available in the archives on fireengineering.com on the podcast. And again, as you may also be watching um, on the uh, webcast programs that we are very, very fortunate to be able to uh, be part of with uh, both Fire Engineering Magazine and fireengineering.com. And I will just put the plug in again, Doug, uh, we'll both be talking a little bit about uh, some of these uh, aspects 
in both of our programs at FDIC coming about in the next couple of months in April, and also hopefully discussing a couple of these things uh, live from the floor as we uh, do our live pod and webcast as we've done in the past from the four corners um, and at FDIC at a date and time to uh, be determined, but uh, that'll be coming up in the not too uh, distant uh, future here. So we're looking forward to that. Um, I think that wraps it up. I was going to say any other closing comments, but I, I think we've pretty much said it, said it all. So I, I certainly want to personally thank our listeners, those that are new to our both of our programs, Chief Klein's uh, Fire and Training podcast and webcast programs, and certainly on my building constructions, taking to the streets. We we always try to take advantage of this this learning opportunity. And our programs really are meant to, and the objective here is to provide timely, accurate information on timely topics. And I think both of us uh, are of agreement that the commercial fire ground continues to be one of the most demanding and risk-prone areas that the fire service continues to have uh, a different perspective on. And we'll just sort of leave it at that because, uh, again, it'll, it'll be something worth conversing more about in our upcoming episodes. But uh, there's a lot of ground to be covered, and uh, we continue to try to make inroads through programs such as this, as well as content that Fire Engineering Magazine continues to uh, put out each and every day, each and every month on the, on the hard copy publication side of the magazine, and certainly much of what is uh, contributed and published on social media and online through the rich uh, availability of information on fireengineering.com. So our continued thanks for allowing us to have this platform. And we certainly look forward to uh, seeing you guys uh, at FDIC and listening in on our next program. Closing comments, a couple of them, Doug? You're well, always good thing, right? I, I always think that uh, conversation, the dialogue that we have is important. I uh, hope our listeners uh, continue the conversation away from just the show uh, with their colleagues and begin taking it to their streets and, and their communities and their department. Please reach out to either one of us if you have any questions. Again, we're accessible. You can find us uh, on social media. Uh, drop us a quick email. You can find our phone numbers. Give us a call. We'd be more than happy to converse with you. Again, until next time, companies are in quarters and off the air. Stay safe, but keep in mind there's a job being worked somewhere in the streets doing what we do best and being who we are, and that's firefighters. So, again, thank you for tuning in on this edition of Buildings on Fire Taking the Streets and my colleague, Chief Doug Klein, on uh, training, um, on fire and training. <laughs> I almost lost myself here. On fire and training with Chief Klein. So, until next time, guys, uh, stay safe, and uh, uh, we'll see you next time around. Like a trusted turnout jacket you've had for years, Flex 7 Outer Shell Fabric delivers a perfectly broken-in feel on the very first wear. Flexible, comfortable, and powered with the strength of Enforced technology, Flex 7 Outer Shell Fabric is made to move. To learn more, visit TenkataFabrics.com slash Flex 7. Flex 7, powered by Enforced technology only from Tenkata Protective Fabrics.